Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. Um, I'm Jean-François Dargrand, a postdoc at the Centre for Gene Therapy and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. And today, it's our great pleasure to host uh, Dr. Ina Zonen. Um, hello, Ina. Uh, how are you? Uh, hi, Jean-François. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you now. Okay, great. So um, I was thinking of starting this interview by uh, asking you if you could tell us a bit uh, more about yourself um, and give us a, a brief overview of the work that's um, happening in your lab. Um, I'm a, I lead a research group of now around um, eight people at the Hübrecht Institute. That's a research institute focusing on stem cell and developmental biology in Utrecht in the Netherlands. And in my lab, we study how cells and our bodies talk to each other. And our bodies consist of 30 trillion cells, and every cell has to know what to do, when and where exactly. And this is particularly important during embryonic development, when a whole organism is formed from a single cell. But also in the adult body, there is constant turnover of, for instance, our skin. And that also has to be tightly regulated. And in both of these cases, um, this is regulated by cells talking to each other. And this controls, for instance, whether a cell duplicates, whether it dies, or whether it, for instance, becomes a muscle or a skin cell. And if errors, occurs, um, uh, errors occur, then developmental defects or um, diseases such as cancer can occur. Um, and therefore, we want to understand um, how cells communicate with each other, both in the context of embryonic development, but also in the adult organism. Okay, cool. And so how actually did you end up uh, working in uh, biology? What triggered your first interest to enter the field? And what kind of education uh, path did you follow? So I was already interested in natural sciences during school with chemistry, physics, biology. And then we had a really good um, biology teacher who always asked really challenging questions and gave us small projects. Um, and then I always wanted to go into cancer research. And when I, um, basically for personal reasons, and uh, during an internship that I did at the Max Planck Institute in Dortmund, my supervisor at the time said, if you want to do cancer research, you should study biochemistry. And that's what I then did. Um, and after my studies, I then uh, did a PhD in cell biology to, um, to study how cells duplicate. And this is a very important process in cancer formation because then the regulation of cell duplication doesn't work anymore and the cells just continuously duplicate. Um, however, um, during my PhD, I was basically studying cell duplication in single cells cultured in a dish in the lab, basically com completely out of the context of, of an organism. While normally you have a single cell embedded in a, like, very complex network of diverse cells. 
And I was wondering, so how does this then work in the, in the whole uh, tissue organism? And therefore, I did my postdoc in developmental biology then, because there, um, like this, this regulation has to be very tight to go from a single cell to a whole organism. And now in my whole lab, in my own lab, we are still interested in uh, understanding developmental biology, but we also study, so how does it work in the adult? tissue and we compare this and ask so are there general principles is it similar or what are the differences um, and actually we also have started a project to to see how is it changed in the context of cancer hmm. um, but this is more a long-term goal okay so um, you your lab is working on um, what is called signaling uh, dynamics. So could you define for our audience in uh, lay terms what are the principles of uh, what we call signaling dynamics? Uh, what is the nature of these signals and how do cells decode these signals? So um, I have already told you that cells um, communicate with each other and that this is important to control our like all processes in our body and um, these signals are proteins that are sent from one cell to another cell and this then when a cell receives such a protein or recognizes such a protein then this leads to changes inside of the receiving cell and this um, this whole process that's called um, a signaling pathway our body and we have only a limited number of such proteins or signaling pathways available and these have to control all kinds of effects um, and the big question is how can such a small number of pathways control all these diverse or have all these diverse functions and one way to expand the versatility of of a pathway is to use the dynamics. Dynamics is the change of the of a signal over time. So the strength of a signal over time. Um, this is very similar to, for instance, the Morse code, where you can use basically a single signal and by varying the duration of this signal and by combining long and short sounds with each other, you can um, transmit words and even sentences. And our cells can basically do the same. They can vary the activity of these signaling pathways over time, and then the receiving cell can decode um, these, these dynamics. And this can then, for instance, with like certain dynamics can be read out by the cell, and then this induces the formation of a brain cell, for instance. And in my lab, we now want to understand how are these dynamics or such dynamics used um, to transmit information from one cell to the next. Okay. And so how, so because you, you, you said these uh, signals are used and reused in the different uh, organs. So what about the um, signaling dynamics, do you think? Because I know that in your lab, you're using different uh, multicellular systems. I mean, studying. Uh, so do you think that these uh, dynamics are more or less similar in all organs or you have big uh, variations? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. So we know that 
like in general, that signaling pathways can show all kinds of dynamics. They can, for instance, vary the duration of a signal. They can slowly increase or decrease. And they can also be uh, periodic. So they can periodically increase and decrease in activity. And it has been shown in a few model systems that these different types of, of dynamics are used by cells to transmit information. We know that um, from a few examples that some of these signaling pathways show very similar dynamics in, in various tissue types, such as the um, so-called notch or ERK signaling pathway. And we know, for instance, that this ERK signaling pathway, that's a specific type of such a signaling pathway, um, has similar dynamics in the gut and the skin, for instance. But we also see that there are differences in other signaling pathways. Um, and with new technologies that we now have available to measure uh, signaling within, within cells, we can now systematically understand what dynamics are really found in the different um, tissues and organs and what the meaning of these is. Um, I think we are just at the beginning of mm. really figuring out what is going on. Uh, actually, talking about uh, technology, so what is uh, what has been game-changing in, in the past years? Uh, because uh, we've seen, I guess, in terms of uh, microscopy, but also in terms of culturing multicellular um, uh, systems, uh, there's been a big evolution. So what, what do you think is has been game-changing and is going to bring uh, many more uh, discoveries uh, soon? So basically, as you say, if you if we want to study um, development or also adult tissue in an adult organism, we don't have this easily available. And the big change over the last decade, maybe, has been the the establishment of um, so-called in vitro model systems. So systems that we can build in the lab from, from cells that recapitulate um, embryonic development, but also adult tissues. For instance, um, we can grow mini guts, so-called organoids in the, in the lab that recapitulate um, certain aspects of the biology of a real gut. And with this, we can for the first time really study what is going on in this, in this tissue. Um, outside of the organism. That's one thing. And the other is, of course, that um, a big problem is um, that to visualize and measure these um, signaling pathways, um, we usually use um, microscopy. And these microscopes have become much better over the last years. So they, the cameras are much more sensitive the energy that is sent on the cells is much lower so that we can uh, image with a much higher resolution. And these things now allow us to measure these dynamics. And the other, um, basically with this, we can say there are dynamics. And the other thing is that then if we want to study what's the function of these dynamics, we have to be able to change dynamics. And there have been some more recent developments that allow us to specifically change a pathway 
over time. Yeah, the, the type of uh, high resolution um, imaging that you do um, in your lab, I find uh, is fascinating to see live cells reacting to stimuli. I think it's it's like, yeah, the field of what the so-called organoids, I think is in the big change is actually having being able to see dynamics uh, either in as you do uh, in terms of cell signaling i mean signaling dynamics but also in terms of uh, morphogenesis it's so much I mean, you, you can get a lot of uh, information from a movie that you couldn't get from sections of um, of organs so yeah uh, it's really fasc fascinating to to see these evolutions uh, just again out of curiosity so when did you uh, get into signaling dynamics because you said during your phd you worked on uh, 2d uh, cells sculptured in 2d uh, so did you you were already looking at signaling uh, dynamics then at uh, during your phd or? no it was actually um when i when i was looking for postdoc positions and i was looking for um positions that, where i could study um, the regulation of cell duplication or differentiation into certain cell types in a multicellular context. Then I found the lab of um, Alexander Aulela at, at Embel in Heidelberg, um, who was uh, studying how basically the, the communication and the signaling dynamics that control the periodic segmentation of vertebrate embryos. And when I started my postdoc in his lab, I got interested in signaling dynamics in general, because now we start to see that these dynamics are not just specific weird phenomenon in vertebrate segmentation, but it, that, it, that it's observed much more often uh, in biology. And we are only starting to understand how what really the function is. Because it initially started, uh, a lot of people worked on Erect signaling, as you said, no, but then they kind of realized that all signaling pathways actually had uh, periods. Or, I mean, is that true to say that? <laughs> yeah, actually, already in, yeah, that's true. In, in cells, this was observed much earlier because then you could uh, like use population methods like Western blot to see changes in, in signaling activity. What I also found uh, fascinating in the vertebrate segmentation field is how they found the dynamics in the first place. So what they did was that they looked at, um, at um, chicken embryos and they found that if they would um, stop the reaction on one half of the embryo, but would culture the other half for half an hour longer, then um, the, the pattern of the signaling pathway would have changed already. And if they would do this for 90 minutes longer, then they would have the same pattern again. And from this, they concluded, they basically used static images to visualize dynamics, which I think yeah. is really cool. Yeah, fascinating. So um, to switch off a bit gears, um, I wanted to ask you, um, so as you may have experienced, I'm sure, research often has some uh, high and low moments. Uh, so do you recall any particular uh, moments, a striking uh, uh, experience that you, you feel you would like to share with our audience as a scientist? 
Um, yeah. Um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, when I um, started my postdoc, I wanted to um, develop a system with which I could control um, these dynamics that uh, that regulate vertebrate segmentation. Um, and for this, I wanted to use a method called microfluidics. This is a, like a tiny culture device within which you can culture this tissue. And then uh, using this system, you can change signaling activity with really high precision. And well, the initial experiments were actually really worked really well. And I could grow this, uh, these cells on this tiny chip, as we call it. But then I noticed that I was constantly struggling with air bubbles on the chip. And I basically couldn't solve this at all. I, I didn't know where these, where the air was coming from. It was constantly interfering with, with the tissue culture and prevented me from doing any real experiments. And every day I came up with a new idea how to solve it. And every morning I came in and there were bubbles again. <laughs> and um, then actually in the, at the beginning of my, of my third year, so when I was just back from maternity leave, uh, where I basically had enough time to think <laughs> <laughs> about this, this really annoying problem, um, then I finally came up with a solution. And then from then on, I could basically culture this tissue on the chip, do it on, uh, under the microscope. I could image at, this, at the same time. Um, without having any of these bubbles, and then I could finally do um, like the real biological experiments, mm. and this was definitely a like a high a high moment because I had solved this problem, and um, I also noticed that sometimes it's good to be persistent. Mm. I think I noticed as well that uh, sometimes it's good to have a break when you think too much for for very long about a problem you don't come up with really like new ideas to solve a problem it's only when you you feel like you put your brain at rest and you're not actually thinking about the problem that i don't know your your neurons are making new connections and, and some new idea sparks that you didn't actively look for which is, is quite funny um, yeah it's good to have a break and i think it's also good to talk to all kinds of people with all kinds of expertises also from like different disciplines mm -hmm. because they might might have come up with with a solution that you haven't even thought of at all to develop these um, microfluidic chambers uh, so you collaborated with um with uh, people knowledgeable in that field or you had to to really uh, like get familiar with the field and and do everything yourself um, so what what I did was that I was not only a postdoc in the lab of Alexander Olela, but also Christoph Merten, and he's an expert in microfluidics. So I basically got input from both sides, but then in within Christoph's lab, I um, I could learn all the microfluidics and then set up and design this microfluidic chip myself. Okay, thank you for sharing uh, your your experience. So uh, switching gears uh, again. Uh, so because now you are a team leader uh, at uh, Utrecht. Uh, so um, how 
did you experience the the transition from a postdoc to um, to being a team leader? Uh, what do you find challenging or rewarding as uh, being a team leader? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think it was, um, of, of course, it was a really exciting time when I when I started my own group. The first like few weeks when I started here, um, you're basically thrown into cold water because nobody teaches you how to be a group leader. And what I thought was the biggest challenge was that that you were suddenly fully responsible for other people. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure that everybody was fine, PhD students were fine, that they know what they were doing and that they also had everything that they needed. So like equipment, the money to, to purchase consumables, so I had to write grants. And um, so before, um, like during postdoc or PhD, you of course also supervise other people, but in the end it's your supervisor that is responsible for mm -hmm. for these people and this was definitely something to get used to and um, another challenge for me was also to let go and delegate while before you would just do everything yourself and you knew knew how it works and you knew it would work now you have to let go and especially now with the group being bigger you you have to really let go and trust people. And now I think it's really great to see how the group has self-organized and they they discuss with each other, they, um, they come up with solutions together and they also come up with new research ideas that they directly test and that is really cool to see. And now of course it's, it's also great that you in a way don't work on one project anymore that that you do on your own but um you are involved in all kinds of projects that that you want to address and that's now really exciting thank you so maybe as a, a last question uh, for this uh, interview um what advice would you give to someone thinking of pursuing a, a career in research yeah that's a good question so well, also based on my experience with the microfluidic system, I would say that um, one advice is to be persistent, not give up too early to achieve your goals. Um, and if you want to stay in science because you like it and it's fun for you, then I think it's good to talk to all kinds of people and get advice at the different stages of your career and um, also get mentors or get several of to basically discuss and get input from from all kinds of people and i think that helps you um, during your life and you should always do, do no matter um, at what stage you are and there's one one important thing that i also want to mention and that is that of course it is possible to have a family and a career in science at the same time, also as a woman. One thing you have to set up is that you have a good support system around, um, like childcare and so on, but it's definitely possible. And um, it's actually being a scientist is one of the few jobs that where timing is so flexible that you can just 
like leave the room in in case of an emergency in the childcare, which is very difficult to do in other jobs. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I want to promote also the, the women in the audience to to consider science as a career. Great. Thank you for these um, pieces of uh, advice and thank you very much for your time and participating to um, our podcast and uh, to our audience. Um, I guess uh, see you at the next uh, episode. Have a good day, Ina. <laughs> yes, thank you. You too. Mm -hmm.